I always love it when things work out like that. When God's Spirit just weaves things together in such a way that they all tie, not just songs with word, but also with God, what God's Spirit is doing in this place. I want to thank those who were involved, not only in the serving of these emblems, but also thank those who prepared it. You remember last time we had communion, I asked for volunteers. We were overwhelmed at the number of people that volunteered. And so this morning, we've actually used throughout the day as training for those new people. And so I want to thank the pastoral team that has trained them this morning and then those that has prepared. It was a victory by the narrowest of margins. (laughs) And it was only possible through teamwork, soundtrack, and unity But at the end of the day, the not-so-young adults won the Connect Church 2023 quiz. (laughs) Things are not what they seem. Have a look at this picture. What is this? How do you know it's a banana? It looks like a banana, and if I had a physical banana here, you'd probably want to feel it, to feel if it feels like a banana, maybe even smell it, to see if it smells like a banana. But the best way to tell if a banana is really a banana is to open it up, take a bite, and eat it. Then you'll truly know if it's really a banana, because what you see on the inside will confirm what you saw on the outside. I'd like you to have a look at this next picture and tell me which of these people are Christians. Have a good look at them. It should be quite easy. The answer is all of them because they are smiling so beautifully. It's quite an easy slide. Now, now you know that that's not true because it's not what on the outside that makes a person a Christian, even if it is such a beautiful smile. But it's what has happened on the inside. Now, I've purposefully done communion before my sermon today because of the progression of thought. You know, oftentimes we we think salvation is the end of the story. Yes, we go through this brokenness, pain, and heartache. But if you just come to Jesus, then you don't go to hell anymore, and you go to heaven, and then you sort it. And that's not how it works There's so much more that happens after that. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 that says, Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared and a new way of living has come to existence. And so there's the old stuff must have had to stop. And there must be some new things that are evident in your life. And I'm going to show you a table that when I first saw this table, it was most helpful. Have you ever heard, you know, people said, I was saved on such and such a date. And they give a specific date of when it happened. And it seems like it was something that happened in the past. And then have you ever heard someone say that they are being saved, like almost like it's not done yet. And then have you ever heard someone say that they are going to be saved? And you, you, I used to wonder, like, which one is it? 
have I been saved? Am I busy being saved? Am I going to be saved? And you know the answer. The answer is yes. <laughs> it's all of the above. And this slide, you can put up the slide, Robin. Help me to understand this in terms of salvation, but in terms of sin. And I've added the theological word just for those who like something a little bit deeper. So that date that you gave, you were saved immediately from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. We know this from the word. But when we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and as our personal Savior, when we do that, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we will be saved. And immediately we are saved from the penalty of sin. But, and you know Paul said it best probably in Romans chapter 7, when he said the things I want to do, I don't do that. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing that. We find that we're constantly progressing to to striving to be more like Jesus all the time with the Spirit's help. And so progressively we are being saved from that power, that hold of sin over our lives. Now this point over here is called justification. That is when immediately we are in right standing with God. But this progressive process is our sanctification. It's where we're becoming more and more holy day by day. And one day, the Bible says that we will be like Him because we will see Him face to face. We will be saved permanently from the presence of sin in our lives and all God's people say, Hallelujah. Because that's the day that we're looking forward to. For now, we still grapple with this thing called sin. And most of our lives are spent in this middle period. And so it doesn't just stop when we get, actually, if anything, it starts. And it's the process that we go through. And the series that we're busy with is kind of encapsulates that process of allowing God to go into the chambers of our hearts and our lives, to peek behind the curtain. I've been asking lots of questions in this sermon, and I will continue to do so because you are going to be tested on it. Not by me. But probably as soon as you leave here today and for the rest of this work, you will be tested. I want to tell you a story, and the story is found in Acts chapter 5. And I'm not actually going to read it. I'm going to demonstrate it, or rather a video is going to play that depicts the story. But I want to set up the video with the chapter and verses just before Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 4 from verse 32 to 37, we read and the heading, the caption in the Bible says, believers share their property or believers share their possessions. And we've got this, it's the early church, the church has just been born. All the believers, the Christians are living together in harmony. No one calls any of their possessions their own. Instead, they share everything. The apostles are powerfully declaring what we've been declaring in song today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church is experiencing the goodness of God. Nobody needs anything because from time to time people in their church sell their land or even their houses. They bring the money to the apostles who distribute it to those who need it. One guy called Barnabas had some land, he sold it, and he turned the money over to the apostles. And it's It sounds impressive. Doesn't that just make you want to do the same thing? (laughs) Thank you for being honest. (laughs) There was a couple in that church who thought the same thing. They They thought this will be a good idea to do. It was Ananias and Sapphira. Have a look at their story in the following video. 
The early church, filled with God's grace, was so perfectly united in their love for God and for others that many Christians sold their land and possessions and distributed the money to those in need. But the power and unity that the early church enjoyed was challenged when Satan himself whispered in the ears of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias said to his wife, Let us sell our property, but instead of giving all the money we earn, we will secretly keep some of it ourselves. His wife agreed to the plan. Ananias was eager to lay his portion of money at the feet of the apostles. True, it was not everything he and his wife had earned from the sale, but it was a lot. He felt confident that it was enough to fool everyone into believing his lie, so he could walk away with the honor of men, and all without having to make the ultimate sacrifice of giving it all. But the Spirit of God revealed to the Apostle Peter how Ananias and Sapphira had conspired to lie about how much they were giving to the church. Peter confronted Ananias. This land belonged to you, and the money you made from the sale belonged to you. Why didn't you just tell us the truth? Instead of leading us to believe that you had given us everything, you have not lied to men, but to God. As soon as he heard those words from Peter, Ananias dropped to the ground and died instantly. The shocking news of the event spread quickly, and all those who heard it were filled with great fear. A couple of young men nearby wrapped up the body and took it outside the city to be buried. This sad story does not end with the death of Ananias. About three hours later, his wife Sapphira, unaware of what had happened, came before Peter. No doubt she was filled with pride about what she and her husband were presenting as a great and generous sacrifice. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this amount the price you and Ananias received for the land you sold? She replied, Yes, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit and lie about the money? The same men who buried your husband have returned and will now bury you. As soon as she heard these words from Peter, she fell down at his feet and immediately died, just like her husband. The same young men who had just returned from burying Ananias took her body and buried her alongside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church, as well as everyone else who had heard about the tragic events. Great fear seized the whole church. Great fear would seize us if our motives and our actions were evaluated and we were called to confess them. And depending on whether we were telling the truth or not, we would either walk out of here or need to be carried out of here. And it seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? On the surface, on the outside, it seems like they were doing a good thing, even an admirable thing, selling their possessions and giving some of it to the poor. On the outside, it looks on a good thing, but what's going on on the inside? What does the Bible say in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7? I don't know if you remember the backstory, but God had rejected Saul as king. And he sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint one of Jesse's sons to become the next king of Israel. And one by one, they are paraded before Samuel for him to see. Impressive, strong, strapping young men. Not unlike a lineup from a World Cup rugby winning rugby team. 
But every single one of those sons that comes past, and it starts with Eliab the eldest, God says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The same thing happened for Abinadab, Shammah, and four more sons. And it was the youngest son, David, who was the chosen one. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We see the same thing with Cain and Abel, two brothers, both bringing a sacrifice before the Lord. And we don't know why the Lord accepted Abel's and not Cain's. The Bible doesn't tell us. From the outside, it looked like they were doing the same thing. They were bringing of what God had blessed them with and offering it as a sacrifice. But for some reason, God doesn't accept Cain's one. Why? Because people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There's this kind of picture of the outside of me and the inside of me. And the outside is my reputation. What people think about me. Who they think I am. But the inside is my character. Who I really am. The outside is my image. The facade. The, the front I put up. That people see. The inside is my integrity. For some of us, the outside is the person that we see on a Sunday. Have smiling, happy faces here. Nicely dressed and everything is, the Lord is good. And the inside is what happens when we're at work, when we're at home, or even when we are alone. Back to the banana. How did we know that the banana was a banana? The only way is to find, to find out the integrity of this banana is if the inside matches the outside. That is integrity. When what you see on the outside is the same thing that's happening on the inside. My question, my challenge to you and me today is, are you a person of integrity? And there was a list. The list was actually extensive that I could select from as qualities of a person of integrity. But I've just selected four things. And I'd like you to measure yourself against this list. But I don't want us to measure it against the list and say, okay, that is something that I need to do more of. We'll get to that at the end. The first one is, am I trustworthy? Do I keep my promises? If you say you're going to do something, do you do it? Do you make agreements and don't keep up your end of the bargain? I remember the first time I read this scripture. I'm one of those people that whenever I sit in a, whether it's a sermon or a devotion, I'm always asking God, what do you want me to do and what are you wanting to change in my life? So if a preacher makes an appeal, whether it's to stand or come to the front, I'm normally the guy that comes. I'm normally the one that says, Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer. And when I came across this scripture, I actually got a bit nervous. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2 and verse 5 says, Don't be in a hurry to talk. How many of us need to hear that? <laughs> Don't be in a hurry to talk. That's me. I like when it's quiet, I think, okay, now's my time to speak. Don't be in a hurry to talk. Don't be eager to speak in the presence of God. Since God is in heaven and you are on earth, limit the number of your words. Verse 5 of Ecclesiastes 5 says, 
it is better not to make a promise than to make one and not keep it. It's better not to make a promise than to make one and not keep it. And the point there is not you don't just commit to anything. The point is, do the things you do match up with the things you say? Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira. They said they were doing one thing, but in actual fact, they were doing something else. People with integrity follow through on their commitments. And yeah, I'm talking about the big things and the small things. The things they say matches the things that they do. The inside matches the outside. Demonstrate your trustworthiness. And don't overpromise. But another element of trustworthiness is honoring confidentiality. If someone trusts, trusts you with personal information, are you someone who respects and honors that confidence? A person of integrity is someone who is trustworthy. A person of integrity is someone who is responsible. Galatians 6 verse 5 says, Assume your own responsibility. Take ownership for your own stuff. Those with integrity take accountability for their own actions. They don't blame others. They don't point fingers or justify their actions. Are you a person of integrity? Colossians, sorry, that comes later. Admit when you make a mistake. Admit if you've done something wrong. Ask for forgiveness and don't make excuses. You know, growing up and having children that are growing up in the home can be a challenging thing. And there was a period where my wife and my daughter's relationship wasn't in the best space. But there was a moment that was actually pivotal pivotal in redeeming their relationship. And that moment came a good number of years ago when my wife confronted my daughter and apologized for something that she had done to my daughter. And almost immediately, there was a shift. There was a change. Because the person seemingly in power in this relationship was willing to come down to the level of a child and admit that they had made a mistake and say, I'm sorry. A person of integrity apologizes when they've made a mistake or when they've done something wrong. They ask for forgiveness. But thirdly, a person of integrity is righteous. James 4 verse 17 says, Whoever knows what is right but doesn't do it is sinning. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, the Bible says that is Sinning, do the right thing even if no one is watching you. Even when there's no traffic cop to see if you're stopping at the stop street or going at the right speed limit. Even when there's no one looking over your shoulder to see what you're filling in on that tax return or whatever the challenge of your integrity is. Colossians 3 verse 23 says, whatever you do, Do it wholeheartedly as though you were working for your real master and not merely humans. You know that your real master will give you an inheritance as your reward. It is Christ, your real master, whom you are serving. Follow the rules. 
but not so that you can get a reward. Our society has been conditioned. If you do something and there's a possibility of getting caught, then don't do it. Most of the times, that's why we don't do the wrong things. Not because we know it's wrong, but because there's a chance we might get caught out, so we don't do it. Other times, we only do the right thing if there's going to be a reward for it. Paying your TV license is the right thing to do, they say. I don't know what the reward is, but anyway. (laughs) But we're so conditioned, and we even build rewards into our systems of punishment and rewarding people, children, adults alike. But a Christian shouldn't need the punishment hanging over our head or the carrot dangling of reward to do the right thing or to not do the wrong thing. It should be because we know, firstly, we love our God and we want to please Him. And we know that He watches us. Follow the rules without expecting a reward. I heard a definition of righteousness which I thought was very applicable for this message. Righteousness is the quality of being right in the eyes of God including character, which is your nature, conscience, which is your attitude, conduct, which are your actions, and command, which are your words. Righteousness is therefore based on God's standard. It's not a matter of comparing yourself to others. What is God's standard for righteousness? And am I meeting that? Because he is the ultimate lawgiver. We had an experience of that as a family. You know, before COVID, we never used to know much about streaming things like series and movies and stuff. A lot of that was new to us because we were cooped up in our house with all this time on our hands. And we came across, through friends, we came across a streaming service where you paid a nominal fee, it was like 50 rand a month or something, and you had access to what seemed like every movie and series ever made. And we paid for it, so it wasn't one of that, you know, hacking in and smuggling. What's the, what's the other word for smuggling? Smuggle, yeah, smuggle. It just doesn't have quite the same ring to it. <laughs> so it was, we paid for it. And I've got a friend and colleague who used to serve on the film and publication board of South Africa. And I bounced this off my friend because I was saying like, listen, we've got all this stuff. And one day there was a movie that came out today and it was available on the streaming service some of the next day. And this friend says to me, listen, if it's available that fast, and if the things are on there permanently. So we went through a whole nostalgic period. We had all this time on our hands. So my wife and I grew up in the 80s. So we were watching things like Who's the Boss and the A-Team and um, all the stuff that we used to watch growing up. And then this friend says to me, I, say, I asked him, is it legal? And I asked him specifically because he used to serve on the film and publication board. And I said, all these things are available and I'm paying for it. It's not like they're just giving it to me for free. He says... Well, it's not illegal. And I asked him to elaborate and explain. It was quite complicated as to the laws in different countries, and it depends on where they... I said, okay, but is it ethical? And then he says, okay, now you're asking me a different question. See, because what's happening is, he says, companies like Netflix and other streaming companies, they get by the rights to a series or a movie for a period of time. And that's why you'll see sometimes movies are on and then they're off. But if something's available all the time, the chances are these people haven't paid for those rights. And especially if they're getting it as soon as it's released. And so, I can't tell you that you're breaking the law, he says. But I don't think it's right. And we had a family meeting. 
to discuss all we're going to, because my son and I were keen to watch a series that was coming out, and we planned this is going to be our time together. And it was, it might seem for you like, okay, it's right or wrong, don't do it. But it was a struggle within us. And eventually we decided, rather not. And so a person of integrity does, and no one would have known, a person of integrity does the right thing. But fourthly, they do it with pure motives. You see, motives are as important, probably more than important, than the behavior itself. Don't do the right things for the wrong reasons. If I just did that so that I can say to you, we said no to that streaming service. And so in your eyes, I look like this righteous person that makes the right decisions all the time. Then I'm no better than Ananias and Sapphira who were doing what they were doing on the outside so that people can hold them in honor and esteem. Your motives are often more important than the actual behaviors. Ask yourself, are my desires godly or are they selfish? What did that verse say? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This morning we're pulling back the curtain on those parts of our lives that we don't often like to look into. Jesus was quite scathing of the Pharisees. He says in Matthew 23, verse 25, How horrible it will be for you, experts in Moses' teachings and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of cups and dishes, but inside they are full of greed and uncontrolled desires. You blind Pharisees, first clean the insides of the cups and dishes, so that the outside may also be clean. And this is the point. This is why it's about what's happening on the inside. Because it doesn't start on the outside. You see, what the Pharisees were doing, they were doing behavior modification in front of other people, so that to you, I look okay. You know how many people here on a Sunday look okay? You know how many times I've looked okay? Because man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. And Jesus says to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, start here. Start on the inside. You know what happens inadvertently? When you clean the cup from the inside. And you know what? To clean the cup from the inside, you need to get in there where the dirt is. And that's what God has been doing through these series. He's been getting in there where the dirt is. And I'm so pleased with the testimony I was able to give you. I've got story after story of individuals that have come to me and say, God's been speaking to me about this. And the series was the thing that tipped me over the edge where God's saying, and it's in his grace. It's in his love. It's in his mercy. He doesn't want you to be struggling with that thing. It's so gracious of God to have allowed us the space to clean the inside of the cup and the dishes. A few Sundays ago, I was sitting here. It was the 6 p.m. service. And in closing, I was going to read that scripture from Joel where God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Just before I read it, I did what they taught me to do at the seminary before you read a verse. You look at the verses and the sections before that. When I read Joel chapter 2, I realized that what God was doing was a process of first calling people to purity, people turning and repenting, coming to him, and then he blesses them, 
and then he will pour out his spirit and we'll start to see the effects. I believe that God has been using this series to prepare us as a church for what is coming. And my challenge, my encouragement to you is in this season, receive God's grace by allowing him to clean your cup and your dish from the inside out so that the inside matches the outside. As we close, I want to encourage you, maybe challenge you a little bit because I think it will be challenging. There's a saying, which is actually a missionary saying, but I think it's applicable in this situation. A saying that says, the light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. Some of us shine far, even as far as this church, and maybe even further afield. But the light that shines furthest must shine brightest at home. These things are the hardest to do with and among the people that's in our space all the time. You see me on a Sunday and you think I look like a wonderful Christian, but you're not at home with me and my wife. And I want to challenge you. Ask someone close to you to evaluate you. Ask them, am I a person of integrity? Am I trustworthy? Do I keep my promises? Do I keep confidences and secrets? Ask them, am I responsible? Do I take ownership of my mistakes? Or do I blame others and accuse them? Am I righteous? Do I do the right things without expecting a reward? And are my motives pure? Actually, you can't ask anyone else that. Because no one knows the motives and the motivations of your heart except the Spirit of God. And so the next step, and this is what I put to you as a takeaway. Pray this prayer that the psalmist writes for us in Psalm 139. Examine me, O God, and know my mind. Test me and know my thoughts. See whether I am on an evil path and then lead me on the everlasting path. And that's the beauty about God. That's the beauty of repentance. That's the beauty of, how does the God's word translation translate it? Um, changing the way you think and act. See whether I am on an evil path and then lead me as I turn around to a path of everlasting what are these things that you want me to put off, to take off? We were reminded of it last week. When God removes something, he always wants to give us, bless us with something better. Lord, this morning we have heard from your word and we've been challenged about our integrity. And even as we heard earlier on, Lord, if we feel ashamed, that's not of you. Because... Shame is not from you. That's a tactic of the enemy. But you in your love and your grace come alongside us. And yes, you say, he who is without sin cast the first stone. You also say, leave here and don't sin anymore. So we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, which we've celebrated today by taking part in the communion table. And I pray for someone who is 
been challenged by something we've spoken about today, or even if we haven't mentioned it, Father God, but you have been speaking to them. And this morning, I pray that you would have used this word to confirm something very specific in someone's life. Lord, your Holy Spirit has been working, and we pray that you who began this good work will complete it, Father God. As we have been sitting and reflecting, and even as we leave here today, we pray, Spirit of the living God, examine us. Know our minds, test our thoughts. Search our hearts, Father God. And as we evaluate the path that we're on, we pray that you, with your Spirit's guidance, would lead us on an everlasting path. And we pray that you would give us the boldness, the confidence to take a stand for righteousness and integrity, Father God. We can't do it on our own. And so we pray and we speak your word over our lives as we declare that now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless in his presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, honor, majesty, dominion, and power. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Our service has come to an end. We'd like to invite you to join us for a cup of tea, cup of coffee, some fellowship in the Connect Cafe, and have a blessed week. God be with you. Amen.